Well, good morning again. If you're here for the first time, we're actually stepping into week two of a new series called Hope for the Broken. Before, uh, before we go into the word this morning, though, uh, I wanted to make sure I shared some news with you. Probably some of you have heard it, but uh, our church, I just ask you and invite you to be praying with me for the Carpenter family this morning. Uh, yesterday, uh, Brian found one of their daughters, Rachel, um, unresponsive and called 911 and uh, had to do CPR for about seven minutes on her until the ambulance got there and they transported her to Good Sam and uh, she passed away. And so, yeah, really tough day for him and for the family. Uh, Stephanie and Sasha were over in Bulgaria um, to, uh, to get Christina. We, we celebrated that last week. And uh, they found out that Bulgaria had messed up all the paperwork. And so actually, uh, they're going to come home empty-handed. And Stephanie's going to have to go back at a later time to pick up Christina. So it was kind of a one-two punch, excuse the expression, but a tough day for them. Um, Brian had to call Stephanie internationally to let her know about Rachel. So... If we could just be praying for them, lifting them up. I don't have details for you. I don't have anything more than this to give you. Um, and I know we have a church that has compassion and wants to know what can we do. I'll make sure I let you know. But right now, the most we can do is pray. And it's not the least, it's the most we can do. Because we have a God that can be sovereign even over this. And we have a comforter in the Holy Spirit that can comfort them in this time. So just join me in praying for them, praying for them uh, throughout your day today. Brian's actually right now uh, on his way to Philadelphia Airport to pick up Sasha and uh, Stephanie. So um, I'll keep you posted, okay? But if we could be praying for them. In addition to that... um, Let's pray for today's sermon. If you haven't been here, it's a ton of a hard switch from that news to this, but God still wants to speak this morning. I believe he does, and I don't believe that you being here is an accident as we talk about hope for the broken and what God wants to do through this. Uh, we started this last week. This series is a series in which we're looking at the 12 steps that are in uh, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, even more of a Christian theme, Celebrate Recovery. Maybe you've heard of that program in church, churches. And I, I looked at these 12 steps years ago, and I thought to myself, wow, you know what? These steps are so rooted in biblical truth that I don't necessarily think that they're steps that just for people that are struggling with addictions. I actually think they're steps that would actually, we could all grow in our faith in Christ and in our relationship with him if we were to try to live them out. And so that's where this, this uh, series was birthed. And so we're going to go into week two of this today. But before we do that, can we bow in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you that you are, you are God and we are not and that even though uh, difficult days uh, and, and death have invaded this world and this age, that we know that you already have had the final answer. And that death has no sting anymore than right now. It's not a forever thing. It's, it's one of those things where those of us that are in you will have eternity with you. And yet right now, Lord, as we hear this news, as we think about the Carpenter family, our hearts are saddened. And Lord, we just pray for them. I pray that right now, even as they rejoin one another, that your peace would flood them, that your comfort would be over coming to them, and that they would not, they would feel your presence so strongly with them today, that in their grief, they would feel your love and your arms around them. 
Lord, as we go to your word, I would ask that you would be able to speak through me because I can't do this on my own. I'd ask that you would help all of us here to have ears to hear and hearts to receive, that we wouldn't be distracted this morning, that we wouldn't allow this Sunday morning to be just another church day, but we would enter in into what you want to do and what you want to say, and Lord, that we would find in, the, in these words that we're about to read hope. We'd find hope, and we'd be able to live into that hope, and Lord, through our obedience to what you ask us to do in response to your word today, that our lives, our changed lives, would point to you, and that more people would find Jesus because of what you've done in us and how we share that with others. Lord, be with those people that couldn't be with us today um, because they're sick, because they're homebound. Lord, be with them right now. Lord, we, we love you. We're so thankful for all that you do for us, your grace and your mercy, and the ability we have to come here to worship you, to gather together as a spiritual family. And we're so excited that we are in a church, Lord, that you are Lord over and that we are seeing things happen in this church and lives are being changed. And we just continue to glorify you, Lord. So Lord, have your way in us right now in this time. And all God's people said, amen. So you're going, how many balls is this guy going to have during this series? Next week, there's going to be a unicycle. It's just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I kid, I kid, don't get too excited. Some of the new people are like, really? No. But, uh, you know, just a normal beach ball. But I wanted to ask, has anybody ever taken a beach ball or an inflatable like this into the swimming pool with them and then try to push it down under the water? I mean, like, if you didn't do that, I don't know what where you've been for the, for your, you know, but you try to hold it down under the water or maybe even sometimes you like stick it between your legs and you try to sit on it and it slips out like that, right? And you hold it down as long as you can. It may slip off your hands or you're trying to sit on it, slips out. And you know, what happens when it slips out of your hands as you're holding it down underwater? It pops up and it just doesn't come up like this, right? It like flies out of the water, Right? You're like holding it down as long as you can or you're holding it down and then all of a sudden it slips out of your hands and it flies up, pops out of the water and usually splashes people. If it's behind you and it goes up behind you, you can't find it. I mean, this it's something, I don't know why we all do it, but everybody has done something like that with one of these balls. And it's interesting because I don't know if you've also noticed this, like the bigger the inflatable is, the harder it is to do it, right? The bigger it is, the harder it is to push it down, the harder it is to keep it down there. And when it comes up, the more of a mess it makes, the more of a splash it makes. Now, why am I talking about that? Because I have found that for a lot of us, our sins, our brokenness, our hurts, and our hang-ups, a lot of us, we try to hold them down under the surface like a beach ball in a swimming pool. Everything up here looks fine. Everything's normal. And we put a lot of energy into pushing it down. We put a lot of energy in trying to keep it under the surface. And you know what, though? Is the bigger it is, the harder it is to hold underneath there. And have you been, are you like me? Like sometimes you even forget that the junk that, you know, is still there. You even forget it's there. And then all of a sudden, it slips. And it comes out. And it doesn't come out slowly. It doesn't come out, you know, in a passive way. It, it aggressively comes out and shoots out. And next thing you know, everybody around you feels the effects. Maybe it's just me. 
But that's what happens with us. We try to hold this underneath. And one of the ways it happens is something I just mentioned a few weeks ago, at least in my life, one of the ways to guarantee that which I'm trying to hide under the surface is going to pop out is, is one of these four things. It's an acronym used often in the addiction world called HALT. When you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, I would add an S on there, when you're stressed, right? Isn't it when one of those things happens, it seems like the things that you keep under the surface, the things that you make sure no one sees, the things that maybe you don't even want to admit are still in your life, they just pop out out of nowhere and you're like, oh my goodness, how did that happen? I can't believe that. Like, I was doing really good. Like, I felt like me and Jesus, we were doing great. And then all of a sudden, that language came out, or I snapped at her, or I did that, or I, or I promised that thing that I promised God I would never do again. I'm doing it, and I don't know why. Because of one of these things, and I thought it was gone, but it came out of nowhere. And the truth was, I was just trying to hold it down on my own underneath the surface. It's a struggle we all go through. And it's a struggle we're going to talk about today. But before we do that, let's back up to where we were last week. I said I got a lot of balls here. If you weren't here, you missed church, you miss out. But I'm going, to try to, I'm going to try to give you a little review. What we talked about last week was that the scripture talks about our brokenness in a specific way. Paul, in the book of Romans, specifically talks about our brokenness in a specific way. And he talks about the fact that each and every one of us, whether it's me, whether it's you, whether it's Jessica, sorry honey, whether it's Mother Teresa, whether it's Billy Graham, we were all born in this world into sin. We have a sinful nature. I shared last week, it's not hard to figure this out once you have a two-year-old, because nobody has to teach them to have this nature. And it's not hard to figure out that you still have a broken nature because once your kids get old enough and you realize that they are actually acting toward you the same way you are and you see your brokenness through them, you realize it's a problem that we all have. And if you're born into it, it's because you were born into Adam. That's what Paul says. He says, after the fall, every person that was born in humanity was born into Adam. And so we have a fallen nature. We have a sin nature. And as long as we're in here, we feel our brokenness and we are powerless against it. We actually said that's the first step to walking towards wholeness from our brokenness is that we admit that we are powerless over our addictions, our compulsive behaviors, and that our lives have become unmanageable. That's the first step in the journey to wholeness is admitting, you know what, I am broken and I'm powerless and as long as I'm in this basket, as long as I'm trying to do it on my own, out of my own effort, I am going to continue to fail. I'm going to continue to break promises. I'm going to continue to hurt people. I'm going to continue to hurt, hurt others and even myself. And we also said last week that there's absolutely no way possible for one of these balls, as we all stand here right now, to just pick itself up out of this basket and drop it into the second basket, which is Christ. It's impossible for somebody in Adam on its own to just jump and go from being in Adam to in Christ. But God did something. God did something we couldn't do while we were still powerless, Paul says. Christ died for the ungodly. And that God comes along 
And he gives you faith. He gives me faith. Anybody who claims that they follow Jesus, he has been given faith by God. And God moves on your heart and he takes you as you respond by faith. He takes you out of a life that's in Adam, out of a life that's defined by brokenness. And he places you in Christ. You have been clothed with Christ Jesus. He makes you a son. He makes you a daughter. He he seats you in heavenly places. Wild things. He gives you his Holy Spirit to empower you. All of these things happen. And just like these balls could never get from here to here on their own work, either can you. But by faith in Jesus Christ, by receiving the gift, is what Paul says, by receiving the gift. Do you know what you do to receive a gift? You put your hand out. By receiving the gift, an amazing thing happens on a spiritual level. You move from being in Adam to in Christ. And your life is transformed. You are forever a son, forever a daughter. You are held by him here. And the way we get to that is step two. We come to believe that a power is greater than ourselves to restore us to sanity. That power is one name and only one name, and it's the name of Jesus Christ. And it's because of what he's done and his power that have placed us in Christ. And so here we are, right? Those of us that are believers, we're, here we are. We are in Christ. And, and yet we still have these things. Like each and every one of us, we still have these things. Like, yes, the old man is gone. The new has come. We are new creations. We are, we've been crucified with Christ. And yet we still have these, these things in our lives that we try to hold above the surface that we know when they pop out, they act a lot more like the old guy, the old, the old me that I was, when I was in Adam, rather than the new me that's in Christ. Am I the only one? No, these things pop out. And so we have to, as we're moving down the steps, we have to deal with this. In fact, God wants to invite you to deal with this this morning. If you're in Christ, he wants you to find out that this doesn't mean you have to live a double mind. It doesn't mean that you have to be in Christ and yet still act like a sinner. And I shared last week that some of you, some of us, we have a problem because we define ourselves even though we're in Christ as saved sinners. We still define ourselves by our past. We still focus on our past rather than realizing we've been transferred out of darkness into light. And not only, not only are we saved sinners, but we're sons and daughters, and the Bible calls us saints. And if we have an identity that's still focused on who we were and what we were delivered from, rather than who we are and who we are in, we will never, have over, we will never overcome our hurts, our hang-ups, and our habits. And that comes, to, that comes to step three. As we deal with these things we hold on the surface, how does God want to help us deal with that? The only way you begin to live into this identity, the only way you begin to have power over all of this is to consciously commit, consciously choose to commit all your life and all your will to Christ's care and control. Because here's the thing. The only way to keep this from popping back onto the surface is to let the air out and let all the air out and fill it with something else. Fill it with more of him. And until you engage God in this process where you let the air out and you let more of him in, it will always pop back up to the surface. But it doesn't have to be this way. You can consciously choose to commit all your life, all your will and control to Christ's care. That's what we're gonna talk about today. But what holds us back from this? Why don't we do this? It sounds maybe a little bit easy. I think the first thing is pride. I think the first thing, maybe this isn't you, but I think for some people it's pride. 
We think that God wants us to be weak and we have to be a weakling. I've actually heard people say to me, maybe you have too, like being a Christian means that you're weak. It means you can't handle your problems on your own, so you've turned, you've turned to some imaginary deity that's going to help you out because you can't handle stuff on your own. Have anybody ever heard this? I have. And some, but some of us, it's our pride because we are Americans, and I've shared this before, and we're like, I can do it on my own. And we try to apply that mindset to our faith. And we're like, you know what? I'm strong enough to do this. I can overcome this on my own. I'm able to do all kinds of things. Of course, I can walk like Christ wants me to live on my own. We have a pride about it. But here's the thing. God doesn't want us to be weak. He calls us in our pride actually to be meek. And there's a difference. We we have a misunderstanding of what what meekness is in our 21st century. But this is what Jesus says about being meek in Matthew 5, 5. He says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. In, in uh, Numbers 12, 12, verse 3, God actually called Moses meek. And Moses was anything but weak. But he was meek. What does it mean to be meek? To be meek means that the person has learned to trust in God rather than themselves. To believe that God can do it rather than themselves. And God's calling you, if if pride's getting in the way here, if you think that you don't need him to help you to live like this, maybe it's your pride, God's calling you to be meek. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's shame. Maybe you haven't been able to live as a new creation in this basket because you're still focused on the things that you can't get over that you did here. And even though Jesus, through his his, his death, resurrection, has wiped them away, has cast them as far as the east is through the west, you still live with a mindset about what you did in your past, and you live in guilt, and so then the guilt goes to depression, and then the depression leads to you to doing things that help soothe that depression, which are more of the things that you did here, and then you feel guilty about it, and you consider that cycle over and over and over again, because you're still defining yourself by who you were rather than who you are. There's people I know that have guilt. There's people that are, that are non-Christians that I talk to that are unable to pursue a life with Christ because they live in a life of guilt. They say things to me like, well, pa- I understand you're a pastor, you're a cool guy, but I could never go to church because I'd burn up if I walked in that door. Because they think that this is what it means, that you have to live into this guilt. That's not what it means. Some of us, it's fear. It's fear. It's fear that if we truly were to consciously commit our will and all that we have to Jesus, we know, because some of us have read this book, we know what it costs. We know that he's going to want something from us. We know that we're going to lose control over our lives. And if we're honest, we don't like that. We don't get to make the choice. We have to follow what he says. We like to believe that our choices are better than his choices and that what we pursue is better than what he's calling us to pursue. And some of us, we have a fear of losing control. We have a fear of losing our freedom. We have a fear of being one of those crazy Jesus people. You know what I'm talking about, right? We have a fear of that. We have a fear that maybe, just maybe, if we follow Jesus and we give him everything we have, we have a fear that we're gonna lose our comfort our security. And folks, don't be wrong, uh, don't misunderstand me when I say to you that I believe that the number one idol in the church in America today is safety and comfort. We've made it the end game to what it means to be a Christian. When the New Testament church knew very clearly that to follow Jesus meant that you were signing a death warrant. And we lose our comfort. Maybe it's gonna, if we, we're afraid that if we follow Jesus, if we seriously surrender all that we have, that he's gonna want our ambition. 
Rather than pursuing that promotion, rather than pursuing those riches, rather than pursuing the next car, rather than pursuing the picket fence, we're going to have to surrender things to him. And we're afraid to give, give that away. We're afraid to lose our lifestyle. We're afraid to give up a habit that's not a good habit, but frankly, we like it. And we know if we surrender everything to God, that it's gonna have to, he's going to have to change that. It's fear. Some of us, it's worry. Some of us, it's worry. Yes, we are unable to commit and give all that we have to Jesus because honestly, we want to worry about it and we want to make sure we can control it. Our anxiety is so high that we could never leave our anxiety and give everything to him. Anybody have any problems with anxiety? Listen, an anxious person can't surrender control to God because linked in with high anxiety is a high need to control things. And if you're a worrier, you're never going to walk in the newness that God wants you to have in Christ. Because he, it says, cast your cares upon him, right? And if you don't do that, you'll never be able to walk this way. And some of you, it's doubt. Some of you were here this morning and you're like, I'm still here. If that even exists, pastor, I'm still there. Because I'm not even sure about this Jesus guy yet. Or I'm not even sure if I were to give everything to him that anything different would happen. And even though I'm broken... And even though I know that everything's not right in my life, I've actually convinced myself that the brokenness I know is better than that which I don't know. And you're not sure yet whether or not you want to follow him. You're not sure if you have enough faith. Listen to me. It's not about the size of the faith that matters. It's about who you put your faith in. And if you're not putting your faith in him, you're putting your faith in something. And if it's not in him, it's just going to continue your life in a cycle of brokenness. But God doesn't call us to let pride or fear or guilt or worry or doubt consume us. As a new creation, he calls us to something better. He calls us to consciously choose to commit all of our life and our will to Christ's care and control. And Paul let us know how to do this. Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote the book of Romans to the church in Rome, he wanted them to know how to do this. He said, he said to them, leading up to where we're at today in Romans 12, I invite you to turn there. He said, leading up to that, he was telling them about this wonderful thing that God has done through Christ. That the whole world was corrupt. And through Jesus, through sending Jesus, he made a way for us to be transferred out of darkness into his marvelous light. He made a way for us to live differently, to be new creations. This is so important. He knew that we were going to struggle with all of the things, even though we've been transferred into Christ, that we still keep below the surface. And so he addresses it in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says to them, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. I appeal to you based upon what I've already shared, based upon what Jesus has done, based upon what you've read already, based upon how I've explained to you that life in Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit can change everything. I appeal to you, therefore, he says, by the mercies of God. This is how I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you by God's mercy. You're a new creation, and the reason you're a new creation is because God had mercy upon you, and he did not want you to be left to perishing. He actually wanted you to be with him forever. He sent his son. That's the greatest act of mercy there ever was. God himself came to earth to deal with the sin problem so that you could have the in Christ life. He says, by the mercies of God. Here, listen, God doesn't just save you from sin. God doesn't just transfer you from here to here as you respond by faith. He doesn't just make you a saved sinner. 
He has something else to do in your heart. He has something else to do in your life. He wants all of you, and he wants to save every part of you. He'll take you however you come to him, but he'll never leave you there. That's because of his mercy. And Paul says, because of this mercy, because of who God is, you need to respond to him this way. This is what he's about to say. And listen, if you're not a Christian in the, in, in the house this morning, this, this doesn't have to do with you. See, see last week's sermon, because this is where you have to go. But on the, other, on the other side, if you are a believer, if you put faith in Jesus, what I'm about to read is not an option. You with me? It's not an option. You're on the hook for it. You're in Christ, and this is what God calls you to respond to by the mercies of God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Present your bodies. Now bodies, the the Greek word here is not sarks, it's not flesh, it's not our physical body, it's not our sinful nature, as we talked about last week. By bodies, it's actually the Greek word soma. It means the the very earth that God created you out of. It could have to do with all of the things in this world. Paul's saying, present all that you have, all that you are, all that is entwined with you in your existence, present it to God as a living sacrifice. Give it to him, every little bit of it. And here's the thing, Paul, remember Paul was a Pharisee. And many of the sacrifices that the, that the teachers of the law and the, and the priests studied about, many of the sacrifices, I don't know if you know this in the Old Testament, you could eat parts of them. Like you had to burn some of it completely, like a fellowship offering, but some of those offerings, some of those sacrifices actually were cooked and eaten. But there was one sacrifice, the burnt offering sacrifice, the one that was, you needed a, a, a blameless, spotless animal. And when you offered it to God for your sin, when you offered it to God as a sacrifice and you put it on the altar, it was consumed totally by the fire. And I believe that's what Paul is talking about here. He wants you to be a living sacrifice, but the sacrifice he wants you to give God is not to hold something back. It's a complete gift to him. And over and over in the, New Te- or the Old Testament, as we talk about the sacrifices, through Moses, God told Moses that as we were obedient and offered sacrifices, that the smell would be holy and acceptable. Maybe some of your translations say holy and pleasing to God. So Paul says, we don't, the sacrificial system's gone. We don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. Jesus was the one sacrifice forever for all time. But now the call to you, if you are in Christ, if you are in Jesus, is to offer all that you have, all that you are, everything in your life to him as a living sacrifice. Completely. A complete gift. Not one thing held back from God. And that is, would be acceptable. That would be holy. That's what God wants from you. And the reason is, Paul goes on to say, is because this act in your heart and in your life is true worship. Folks, listen to me. This is so important. Because if we truly understood this verse, our worship would look very different. If we truly understood this verse, our lives would be very different. To understand what God has done, to understand what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be free, what it means that hell has no grip on you, what it means that sin has no grip on you, what it means that you have a promised eternity with him, what it means that his great love for you did everything and all you had to do was receive it by faith. 
If we really understood that, our worship would be something much different than we see, not just our church, but all over the world. And we would understand that what Paul's asking us to do is to offer our lives as worship to God, as a living sacrifice, all that we are to him, out of a response of what he's already done for us. And here's the thing about the Christian life. This is what I know about you, because it's true of me. As we somehow convince ourselves, Paul actually talks about this in the book of Galatians, we convince ourselves that though we had nothing to do with going from being in Adam to in Christ, now that we're in Christ, all of our behavior, all of our lifestyles, all of the things we don't want anyone to see, it's our job and our responsibility to keep them under the surface. It's our job to make sure we work really hard at looking and being like a good Christian. And you know what it means to do that. You could rattle off to me right now what you think people think you should be acting like because you're a Christian. And you could convince yourself that this is what you want to do. This is what you have to do. Paul says, no, this is an act of worship. This is a step that you must step into. And then he tells us how. He tells us how we're able to do this. He goes on in verse two, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Paul's saying, don't live like everyone else. Don't be like everyone else. Don't be cookie cutter. Don't be boring. Don't allow yourself to be conformed to the patterns of this world. Do you know how hard it is to conform to the patterns of this world? Students, do you know how hard it is to conform to the patterns of this world? It's not. It's so easy to be conformed to the patterns of this world. It's the easiest thing you could do to allow yourself to be swooped up in everything this world has to offer. And the word world here is not the cosmos. It's not the world. That's not what he's talking about. He's actually talking about, this could be translated, do not conform to this age, to this time that we're in. So he's not saying in this, like I often thought, he's not saying you reject things like art, like culture, like technology, like sports. He's not saying you reject those things. He's talking about the patterns of this age. He's talking about your worldview. He's talking about how your heart and your mind is shaped for what God wants. And listen, we bemoan. I've heard it in this church. I've heard people say it to me. You've said it to me time and time again. We bemoan that this nation is not the Christian nation it once was. I hear people say that. I don't know if it's true because honestly, I don't necessarily think maybe that much has changed. But this is what I do know. The original people that would have read this letter would have been living in the first century in Rome. And I gotta tell you, our nation now is still way more Christian than that was. Way more Christian than that was. And Paul's saying, don't be conformed to the pattern of this age. And yes, even though we're not in first century Rome, we still live in an age, and the spirit of this age is against God. The spirit of this age is against wanting us to to live the way that Jesus calls us to. And it shapes everything. It shapes our economics. It shapes our politics. And it shapes even our religion. And here's the thing. We can unwittingly allow the spirit of this age to conform us to it. We can wittingly allow the, the media content we consume to conform us. And there's been articles written about it. You know, if you have one of these, and even if you use it for the news, if you use it for your news feed, if you use it for Facebook, if you use it for everything that you have, that the algorithms in this software actually allow this to be tailored to you. And this is one big device that does nothing besides reinforce whatever mindset the algorithms say that you believe. And before you know it, you've built walls around your belief and you've allowed yourself to be conformed to a pattern of this age that has nothing to do with Jesus. 
And I promise you, listen, this is a promise from your pastor. You are always being discipled by something. There's no such thing as, a, as well, I, don't, I, don't, I watch it, but I don't listen to it. Yes, it does. There's always going to be something that's going to be trying to push you into the pattern of this age. And Paul says, you can't do this. If you want to offer everything to Christ, if you want to offer your will, if you want to be a living sacrifice, if you want to be poured out in worship to him, you cannot be conformed to this age. He says, but you need to be transformed. The word for transformed in the Greek is the same word that we get metamorphosis. Think about a caterpillar changing into a butterfly. It's a beautiful transformation. And it's one that happens on the inside. Conformity? Conformity is actually where we get the word, the Greek word for that is actually where we get the word schematic. Like an architect, just making out the outside you know, view of things. There's no, there's no nuts and bolts to it yet, it's just the outside view of everything as they're drawing up the initial plans. And you know what conformity looks like as a Christian? Conformity looks like from here up in the water, you look like you follow Jesus. You look like you got everything going all right. When people ask you how you're doing at church, you say, I'm fine, I'm fine. And yet, when you go home, in the place where nobody else sees you, in the place where you hope nobody else finds out, you've got these things that you're pushing down, and you're trying to hold them down all under the water so they don't pop up. And Paul says that as long as you try an outside-in approach, you're never going to get there. You cannot be, that's just conformity to look what you think people want. No, God wants to transform you from the inside out. And we've made a mistake in the church time and time again that we can promise to God that we'll be better and we'll be different on the outside without doing what it takes to be changed on the inside. And so we have dedications. We say, God, I give myself to you. I promise I'll never do this again. And then we have rededications where we say, God, I promise I'll never do this again. And then we have re-re-rededications where we say, I promise you, God, I'm never gonna do this again. I'm gonna do this for you because I'm gonna be transformed and I'm gonna be able to do it on my own. And we try to promise our way to transformation. I hate to tell you, but promising your way to transformation doesn't work. Tell your, next, t- tell your last diet that failed that you promised you were gonna follow it and let me know how it worked out for you. Tell your next exercise, appointment, ex- exercise program that I'm going to promise my way to weight loss. It doesn't work, does it? It has to be an internal transformation. And the Apostle Paul knew that this was going to be a temptation. He knew that outside in was going to be our temptation. So what he says is amazing. What he says is the key. What he says is how do we begin to see ourselves as someone in Christ? Don't miss this. How are we transformed? He says, by the renewal of your mind, by the renewal of your mind, because a renewed mind is a restored mind. A renewed mind is not a broken mind, it's a whole mind. And that's what Paul is calling us to do. That is what the act of sacrifice looks like. Now, I've never restored a car before, and I'm not much of a mechanic. Shouldn't be any surprise if you listen to my messages. But here's the thing that I know. I don't even have to be that smart to figure it out is that if you want to restore an antique car and it's really beaten up, you've got to take old stuff off before you put new stuff on. Even if it's rust, you've got you to take that rust off. You've got to prepare it. Because you know what happens if you just slap the new on the old? It doesn't take. It doesn't take. It may look for good for a while, but then the old stuff starts to shine through again. In order to restore it, it takes time and it takes 
work. It takes intentionality. And we want, this, this is something that happens in an instant, but ident- living into this new identity and getting rid of all of the things in our lives that are not of Christ, it takes time. It takes work. To be able to have a renewed mind, to have a transformed mind, you have to join in the invitation God's given you to walk life in an, as a new creation. And Paul says this, that if you do this, and if you engage in what it means to have a renewed mind, he's gonna, he says that by testing, by living out into this age, by the day-to-day walk that you have with him, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. And folks, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to know what God's will is? Once you spent the time, once you spent the work, once you engage with his invitation to renew your mind, to not be conformed, not to be like everyone else, not to be cookie cutter, but actually offer all that you are to him and give everything you have to him, you'll be able to know God's will. You'll be able to live in God's will. That means that you won't have any more anger. You won't have any more regret. You won't have any more guilt. You won't have any more addiction. You won't be hurting others. You won't be hurting yourself. You won't have any habits. You won't have any of these things that you would hate for anybody in this room to know that you have, that you continue to hold under the water. And instead of working on renewing your mind, you pray every day. And instead of holding, letting all the air out of it, you pray every day that it doesn't slip out and you lose your witness, you lose your family, you lose your job, you lose the years that you've had clean, you lose all of it because you weren't able to control it. You're never gonna be able to control it. It has to be renewed by God from the inside out and then you'll be able to know what his will is, his good and perfect will. You cannot work your way and discipline your way to change. It's something the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and it takes a renewed mind to gain a transformed heart. It does. So this is three suggestions I have for you this morning. They shouldn't be a surprise, and I keep asking God, and he says, keep beating this drum. Because these are the three things that God wants you to engage in because there are things in which he can work to do this transformation. And as you step into these things like you've never done before, this is your offering as a living sacrifice to him. This is your true worship to him. This is your response. The first thing that must happen is you must accept God's will as your standard, or God's word as your standard. You must. This is a core tenet of who we are at this church. This is what we're founded on, is this book. And this book, I'm telling you, this is God's revealed word. He hasn't made us have to guess what his will for us is. It's right here. This is our standard of living. And if you read it, it becomes your standard because something's always going to shape you. Remember what I said, something's always going to shape you. You listen to the news in the morning, and then you listen to the news in the car, and then you get on your Facebook feed, and you read that, and then you you listen to a, a, a podcast on the way home, and then you watch the news that night, and then you watch your favorite sitcom, and then you go to bed. And you know what? You've received thousands of messages of how this age wants to shape you. And if you don't believe that the sitcoms and the news are trying to shape you into the image of this age, think again. And if this isn't your standard, you're going to fall into conformity rather than being transformed. You must accept this as your standard. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true. 
Not only that, but it makes us realize what's wrong in our lives. Each time we pick this up, God picks on these things that are in us still. God brings these out and we realize, you know what, I still haven't done with this. And he invites us to let him take it as a sacrifice from us to him so that he can put something else in his place. He wants day by day as you engage his word as your standard to remove the air from your brokenness and renew and restore your mind. He says, helps us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when, us when we're wrong. It teaches us what to do is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God's word has to be your standard, folks. But not only that, you have to accept that God's will is your purpose. Because there's a lot of things in this world that could be your purpose. Good things even. Like you could say to me, my primary purpose, the only thing I want to do is be a good spouse. My primary purpose, the only thing I want to do, my will is bent one way. That's to be a good father. Or it could be worse. My will is to be the best whatever job you're in that my company has. The highest salesman. The best doctor. The best lawyer. The best tradesman. The person everybody calls on. To be liked by everybody. Whatever it is, your will, and as your will is focused on that as your purpose, I promise you that the rest of your life will conform to whatever your will is whatever you want most in life. And God's will has to be your purpose. And the only way you're gonna know his will is if you have a renewed mind. And how do you know his will? He's revealed it to you because he's a loving God who doesn't want you to guess. And how has he revealed it to you? In his word. You with me? You have to make it his purpose. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus is talking to the people that are following him. And he says, you know, a lot of people worry about what they're gonna eat, what they're gonna drink, what they're gonna wear. Their will's bent to all of the things of this age and of this world. And Jesus says, that's not how you follow me. He says, you have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Your heavenly fathers, remember, if you're in Christ, you're one of his kids. Your father knows what you need, and his will needs to be aligned, your will needs to be aligned with his will, except his word is, your, as, as, is the only thing that is your rule, except his will. And the third thing is so important, don't miss this. Don't check out now, if you haven't checked out already. God's power has to be your strength. Listen to me. If you try to live in Christ on your own, if you try to let the air out of this on your own, you will never, 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 ever, 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 ever. You with me? Never be able to do it on your own. You can't get there on your own. The power of the Holy Spirit, who is a person who wants to know you, who wants to be your friend, who wants to talk to you, who wants to live in you. As, as, and as he's in you, he wants you to be in him so that you have the same mind as him. And he wants to empower you to look more like Jesus so that your life glorifies the Son. That's why he was given. That's why Jesus said, it's good that I go away from you so that the Holy Spirit can come. And if you think that you can live out this life, if you think you can move from brokenness to wholeness, if you think that you can pursue a renewed mind and know the will of God on your own, you can't. In Philippians 2, Paul tells the followers, he says, listen, 
once you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, once you are in Christ, you are a new creation, and that's great. But you know what you have to do then? He uses a strange phrase. He says you have to work out your salvation. You have to walk out your salvation. Eventually, if you're in Christ, you need to look like somebody who looks more like Jesus than the sinner that you once were. But then he says something very interesting in in, uh, Philippians 2.13. He says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Every place that Paul calls us to a different life, every place where Paul calls us to have a cruciform life, to be like Christ, he says, but you can't do this on your own. The grace, the mercy of God is working in you and all you have to do is surrender to it. It's to give your life over to it. As verse three says, to consciously choose to commit all your life to his will, his care, and his control. And if you do that, if you do it as an act of worship, if you don't do it because you're afraid, he's going to hit you with a lightning bolt. But you do it because he's given you so much, because he's a loving father, because he doesn't want your brokenness to define you. He doesn't want these things to sneak up and ruin your relationship with your friends, ruin your relationship with your family, ruin your witness, ruin the things that you've already thought you were delivered from because you haven't done it in a while and you've been doing a good job controlling it. He doesn't want that to happen. He wants you to help you let the air out so it does not come in and he wants to fill you with more of himself. And the only way that happens is if you give it over to him. Listen, I know these things aren't new to us. I know each and every one, I see who's here this morning. For most of you, I know where you're at. But here's the reality of what I also know. I can't do this consistently. And I bet either can you. And I know that I still have some of these. And I bet you do too. But if we want to be whole people, if we want to be transformed people, if we want to be people that will not be conformed to this age, we will be transformed. The only way we're going to be able to do that is to have a renewed mind and gain a transformed heart to not only be in Christ, but to be like Christ. But you've got to accept God's word as your standard. And that means you've got to go to a church. If you're not here every week, you've got to go to a church that makes this their standard and that teaches it practically every single week so that you know how to apply it to your life. And it means you've got to be able to know how to get in this daily and apply it to your life. If you don't know how to do that, that's why we have a life app coming up at the end of this month because it's a passion that you would learn how to do this. And you've got to make will, God's will, your purpose. There's tons of things that could take your purpose that could define your life and define your purpose for the life. But God's will has to be that. And you cannot forget that God's power has has to be the power that you do this in. Because he wants this for you. Don't listen to any of this message. And if you have up to this point, that's my fault for being a bad communicator. Do not listen to this message through the lens of, okay, now that I'm in Christ, this means I've got to do all this stuff. Yes, you're not off the hook, but God's given you himself to empower you to do it. That's how his grace is. That's how his love is. That's how his mercy is. That is good news. Let's pray. Fathers, we consciously commit all our life to your will and all our will to Christ's care and control. As we take steps 
to not be conformed to the power of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Lord, we just ask you, I ask you on behalf of each person here that as we take steps this week, that you would work in us. That we would feel your power working in us and that we would, we would see your fruit being birthed in us. And that we would find out that this life with you is free and light. It's not the life of guilt and shame and brokenness. If you're here with me this morning and this is something that you want to move into, I just ask you to pray in your heart or pray out loud with me. Say, God, you loved me enough to die for me. To rescue me from sin and death. So now I offer my entire life to you. I do this as an act of worship. Holy Spirit, renew my mind. Make me a new creation. I want to know you more. I want to live like you. I want to live for you. Father, give me a hunger for your word. Align my will with your will. Holy Spirit, empower me to be more like Jesus. I know I've been bought with a price. All I have is yours. Renew and restore my mind and my life. In Jesus' name.